We are uh, celebrating this morning the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And to be clear, what this means as Christians in the church is that we believe that Jesus, who was a bodily person, a man, just like you and me in one sense, flesh and blood, that he died a very real death and that he rose again to life, a new embodied humanity, a new kind of creation. That's what we're celebrating today. If that sounds preposterous to you, unbelievable it is. But that's at the heart of the Christian faith, is this miracle that Jesus, who was crucified, has been raised from the dead and made Lord over all. What we read, what Sam just read for us from the Gospel of John, is a surprising but deeply fitting end to the story that John begins with these words, in the beginning, way back in John chapter 1. And those words, in the beginning, from John, take us all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, the beginning of this book that we call the Bible, in which God speaks a word and things come to be. God speaks and life is born. God speaks and beauty and diversity and unity and joy and harmony. All these things begin to come about. And John is saying, look, the story that I'm telling and the story that we're picking up right now at the very end is a story that's taken up with the question of who God is. What he said, what his purposes are toward you and toward me, toward the world that he made. And John's claim is that we find the answers to those questions that to some degree all of us are asking. You can't be human and not ask questions about ultimate existence and meaning and purpose. John's saying the answer to those questions, I'm telling you in this story, that he begins within the beginning. You may be here this morning and not believe in God, or you may be mad at God, or you may be vaguely certain that there is a God, but you're not sure what to make of him, or you may believe in the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. You may have given your life to him long ago, but be struggling deeply in that belief. Your life may be hard and full of challenges, at times at least, and seem overwhelming. And you may feel pretty alone. We've all got these kinds of realities in our lives. We've all got our own set of questions, our own struggles, our own stories. And I want to put you at ease for just a moment. If you're here this morning and hearing me say some things about God and about Jesus and about the resurrection, and you're getting the boxing gloves on and saying, I'm ready to go, um, I want you to put the gloves down. To give up the fight for a minute, the resistance for a moment. And and I want to encourage you this morning to sympathetically come along with us and see the beauty of what is unfolded before us in this story. The story that John tells, the story that John claims is the story of the entire world. It's beautiful, and I hope to show that briefly this morning. Again, we started with the ending. On the first day of the week, John 20, verse 1, Mary came to the tomb. Well, that raises a question. Why is she going to a tomb, and who's in the tomb? If you're just beginning the story here, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Why are we at a grave? Why are we at a tomb, at a place of death? Because two days ago, on what we call Good Friday, this man, this bodily, fleshly man named Jesus that Mary followed and served, that she had hoped in, put her life in, become his disciple, this man had been crucified. Crucifixion was the most cruel and brutal form of death in that world of that day. Perhaps the most cruel and humiliating and dehumanizing form of death 
that has ever been known, hanging naked on a cross, dying under the weight of your own body, suffocating, bleeding, and over a protracted period of time being mocked and shamed and humiliated. We meditated upon this death on Friday together. But we know from what John shares with us, the story that he's telling, at least be sympathetic, that this wasn't just a man. That this Jesus who hung there is the same as the God who was in the beginning and who said, let there be light and there was light. That he was not different than that God who spoke and things came to be. And he hung there, and as he hung there, his last words were not words of defeat or words of anguish. He was not there by accident. He was not there because he was a helpless victim. But there were words of victory, of accomplishment, of love. He said, it is finished. And what he meant was that the Creator God's purposes of love and life were now accomplished. Now that he had come to to meet his hour, to drink the cup that the Father had given him, the reason that he came, which was to give life, To you and to me, this has been our theme over the last seven weeks together. Life, abundant life, that Jesus came to bring about those purposes of God to give us life. That purpose, he says, had been completed, and so he cries, it is finished. And God's purposes to give life also take us back to the beginning, because that's what God was doing in Genesis 1. He was speaking an overflow out of the life of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, an overflow of life that brought about the beautiful world in which we live. A world, of course, that we all know is beautiful and amazing and breathtaking, and yet at the same time is radically broken, discouraging, challenging, disorienting. The story that John tells, that he's completing, tells us that this world, very quickly after it was made, entered into pain and death because of a choice that our forefather and foremother Adam and Eve made. A choice to leave God behind, to leave God out of the story, to become our own master and our own Lord, to serve, really, the enemy of God and to be enslaved to, to that enemy's power, which was always against life. They chose a world where everything that mattered was the things that you could see, the things that you could do, the things that you and I could accomplish. So they built towers, Towers that said how great they were. Towers that became the source of their security. Towers that that demonstrated their own significance. Towers that made them feel good about themselves. That made them feel big and strong and and worthy. And that story of that broken world continues right down to this day. We inhabit a story where, for most of us, our significance and well-being comes from how much money we make. How important our job is how many works we've published, how good our research is, the neighborhood that we live in, who's in our family, how healthy we are, how bright our future is. And it's an exhausting story. You know it's exhausting. And it's a deeply self-centered story. We're just building towers and we don't know why. And it often leads us to hatred and violence, to envy and jealousy, to despair and depression. We're on our own and others around us are our competitors. The ones we're trying to keep up with, or at least get ahead of. And the the sad thing is, is that this story so often for many of us just hurts and just disappoints again and again. We feel left behind. 
We feel unforeseen, or unseen, I should say. We feel forgotten. We're told by these indicators by which we're trying to figure it out and build a tower that our life really doesn't matter. It's of no significance, no consequence. We're not in the game. And even if we're still playing the game, we find that no matter how big of a tower we can build, that the fulfillment, the peace, the rest, the joy, the life that we're seeking is all too elusive. The tower building leaves us us restless, unsatisfied, and hollow, or despairing, or cynical, or jaded. We worry, we strive, we fret, we mock, we push, we shove. Why? You feel these things, I feel these things. This is the story that, that we live in and around. But that's why he's on the cross. This God. To break the power that holds us in the midst of this lifeless story that suffocates us, that takes the air out of the room. To defeat the evil one that holds us in his chains. To clear the path for us to be brought back to the God who made us, who loves us, and who alone can give us rest. And more than that, the God who longs, whose deep longing is to give us life. That's why Jesus says, It is finished. The story that began in the beginning with beauty and life that took a tragic turn with sin and evil and death and all the tower building that's gone on since then to make our lives matter. God doesn't sit idly by. God, the creator, doesn't just watch us into our demise. But by love, he enters in. He comes to rescue and to set us free. And he dies. In this love, he dies And so Mary, on the first day of the week, goes to the tomb. But Jesus isn't there. The stone had been rolled away. The tomb was empty. Peter and John have a race to get to the tomb. Peter gets there first. John gets there, enters in, and sees the cloths lying there that Jesus' body had been wrapped in. And it says in verse, verse 9, Now he, he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, the Word of God, that Jesus must rise from the dead. And then there's Mary, after this moment, wondering, where is my Lord? Weeping in the garden, weeping and grieving over the death of this one that she had followed. And she runs into this man that she doesn't recognize. Because this new human body of Jesus is both like and not like his original human body. It's different and yet has the marks of the wounds in his side and his hands and his feet. And she doesn't see him. And she says, sir, if you know where they've taken him, please tell me. He's not a ghost in this encounter. This isn't just a vision. This is a this worldly stuff, flesh and bones kind of encounter with a man that has become the prototype of a new humanity, a completely different kind of being. This is not Lazarus being raised from the dead. That's resuscitation. He would die again. This is Jesus going through, the, going through death and coming out the other side, a completely new person, a new kind of being. And she encounters him. 
For the close readers of this story, you'll catch that the first day of the week, John says this is on the first day of the week, and this gives us a clue. The first day of the week is the eighth day. The eighth day is the first day of the week of the first, of the first, is the first day of the week of the new creation. And John is signifying to those readers who know the story of in the beginning that now a new thing has begun in this Jesus. A new creation has been set set about. And God's long promise, long awaited promise to renew the world and to renew us was coming to pass. Yes, it is finished. But that was the end of the, of the first part of the story. And this beginning on the first day of the week, the eighth day, is the beginning of the new work of God's renewal of all things. The story that starts in the beginning has a second beginning. And that second beginning of resurrection is what we celebrate with Mary, with Peter, with John, with the early apostles. It's a beginning to give us life. And I want to simply ask, remember I said, please be sympathetic. How else could the story end? The God who made heaven and earth, the God who spoke a world into being, the God who intended for his creatures to know him, to love him, to walk with him, to be alive in him, that God would not sit by and wait and only allow things to demise and go to nothing, but that God would act, and so he steps in. And how else would we expect the story to end except for the God of life breathing new life into his creation, bringing about a new world and a new humanity, and saying to us, I want you to come to life. I want you to come to me. At the end of this chapter, John says, many other things Jesus did, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In the chapter of four, as John is seeing things at the cross, we read, he, saw, he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. This story that John tells, this story that John gives the accounting of, this story is written so that you and I might come to believe. And by believing, encounter and enter into the life of his name, the life of resurrection, the abundant life of God. Now you might say, okay, if that's why they wrote it, then they fabricated all these things because they were insiders, they were biased, of course they were going to write it this way. But I want you to consider one possibility with me. What if they saw him alive? What if they ate and drank with him? What if they had a conversation with him? What if they sat face to face with him? What if they ate breakfast with him? What if they watched him eat broiled fish? What if they saw him alive and working? What if they had this miraculous catch of fish that he commanded them to cast their nets on the other side of the boat? If they saw him, if they saw him and talked with him, and if he ate with them and drank with them, then this is not bias. This is a plea. It's a plea from the authoritative account of those who saw him and were with him to say, he's alive, come to life. Peter says in Acts 10, we are his witnesses. He appeared to us. And now we appeal to you with this word about the story and how it ends that Jesus is alive and he is king. And that's at the heart of our proclamation in the church. 
When Peter and John heal the leper at the, at the gate of the temple, the leper, or sorry, the, the layman at the gate of the temple, he'd been lying there for 40 years. He was 40 years old. And he looks at them and he wants alms. He wants money from them. And, and, he, and, and Peter says those wonderful words, silver and gold do, I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And you know what the lame man does? He jumps up. His ankle bones are strengthened. His tendons come back to life. His muscles grow. And he begins leaping and praising God and giving thanks to him. And no one could deny it. Words spread around Jerusalem, and Peter and John are brought before the authorities. And the authorities don't know what to do because of this fact that had been accomplished. Everybody knew this man. He'd been at the temple gate for 40 years, begging for alms. They don't know what to do with Peter and John. They recognize that they were ordinary, uneducated men. They didn't have degrees from the finest institutions. And yet, they spoke with power and authority. And they see them and they say, Stop! They tell them... You can't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. You can't tell this story anymore. And do you know what Peter and John say? We cannot help but speak of the things that we have seen and heard. Your faith, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, my faith stands on the rock-solid testimony of those who ate with him and drank with him, those who saw him, those who witnessed his miraculous works and healing. And those works continue today. And they could not stop speaking in his name. They could not stop speaking about the things that they had seen and heard. Jesus rose from the dead. And death has no more victory over you if you believe in him. And that's why John writes. And that's why Peter and John couldn't stop speaking. And that's why I can't stop speaking right now because I so deeply want you to come to life in Jesus. To know his great power. To know a life that's not stuck in the dead end of building towers that will never bring you safety or security or significance. To not be spent and wasted and, 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 and without rest for the rest of your lives, lacking in peace, lacking in a sense of who you are. But to come to the God who spoke and said, let there be light and there was light. To come to the God who raises the dead. To come to the God who entered into your mess and broke the chains of death and sin that you might have life in his name. Believe that. You're not good enough for this God. I'm not good enough for this God. But he calls us to believe. And that's why we testify. And if you're here this morning and this is your story, that you've known and tasted and seen that the Lord is good, that you've found him, that you've come to the living water at some point and found your, your thirst to be quenched, but you find yourself this morning pulled back in by the weight of gravity and inertia into that other story of hopelessness, of despair, of everything depending upon you. Believe. This is the true story. Jesus Christ is risen from the grave, never to die again. And you are loved and cherished and seen and forgiven and freed and alive. Come back home. Amen.